And the thing is, because you worked at First National, you understood mortgages. So it wasn't like you didn't, you may not have had every product, every lender, but you could figure that stuff out if you've been in the business a long time. So for you, what was the hardest part of getting your business going? Well, funny, yes and no. I was on the servicing side. So I managed what was called the escrow department. So commercial and residential property taxes, commercial and residential fire insurance, and the MPP program. I managed. Oh, so you did have to learn the product side too then. Yeah, no underwriting experience. So I remember, thankfully, I sent my first deal to First National. And my underwriter was a friend and she goes, where's the disclosure? And I'm like, how do you generate a disclosure? Like I had zero support when I first started. So thankfully, I really leaned on my underwriters and my BDMs. I knew people, I had people skills, but I knew nothing about the underwriting side. Right. I knew everything about property taxes. That was great. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Hannah Stojanovski. Hannah has been in the mortgage business for the last 20 years. She left the bank world six years ago and became a mortgage broker because she had young kids and she wanted to really be able to spend time with them. A couple of big takeaways from my conversation with Hannah. I love Hannah. She's in our 10 loans a month academy. And one of the things that we showed her was about developing a customer journey. So mapping out your whole process. She's very process driven. And when she came back with what she had built, I was blown away. I've never seen in like five years of teaching this, I have never seen anybody take it to the level that Hannah took it. So that was amazing. And one of the things that was really interesting, because on the customer journey, we get you to map out everything that happens from first contact to client for life. And the number of things that was her responsibility was very small. I'm like, Hannah, what do you do in your mortgage business? We talk a little bit about that. We also talk a little bit about how she's navigating with the team now and trying to get everybody to their sweet spot. And now she's up, you know, almost 100% year over year and amazing. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation I have with Hannah. If you're interested in finding out how we can help you rebuild your loan process, take you out of more of that work so that you can be like Hannah and, you know, do the parts that you really love and create a great customer experience, go to 10loansamonth.com. We got some cool things coming there at our academy. You can reach out, you can book a call with me or my team to find out how we can help you. Go to 10loansamonth.com. Today on the Ask the Expert segment, Dr. Reuven from dida.ca about the post-COVID consumers. You know, COVID has changed the world and the way expectations are with consumers, much like what happened after September 11th. And so we talk about that with Ruben from Deeded. And so you can check out the guys at Deeded.ca if you're interested in what they're doing. And I want to give a huge shout out to our title sponsor that lets us do these shows. I'm really grateful to you guys, the listeners, and as well to our sponsors. So Finmo is a mortgage application, document collection, submission platform for Canadian mortgage brokers. And it's owned by a company called Lendesk. And Lendesk, one of their partners is actually Rocket Mortgage. You may not know this, but Rocket Mortgage has a whole division where they buy the coolest fintech because, you know, they want to be in the cutting edge of everything. They looked at what Lendesk was doing and they said, hey, we want to have a piece of what you guys are doing. And so it's pretty cool to see that. One of the other things that I like about Finmo is they're integrated with this tool called Lender Spotlight, which allows you to search all the different lenders. And there's something like a hundred plus lenders on there that you can go and search their guidelines on. So go check that out. You can go to finmo.ca slash ILMB, set up an account in like a couple minutes and just try that out. And thanks again for checking out this episode. Hey, Hannah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott, for having me. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the mortgage business? So a bit about myself. We've got three kids now. The youngest one was born literally a month before the pandemic. So that was fun. Been in the business now 20 years. Just had my 20th anniversary in August. Spent the first 14 with a lender and now six on this side, the brokering side. And what made you jump from being on the lender side to the broker side? Honestly, kids was my number one reason at that time. My son was starting JK and I just had my second child. But now I can't go back. I kind of joke that I'm unemployable now. 
Well, that's what happens. The longer you do this, you do become unemployable. <laughs> yeah. And just out of curiosity, were there any like reservations going from obviously a salary or some kind of, you know, stable position to being a mortgage broker? Like what's going through your head there? hundred percent. I loved my job. I loved my team. I loved management. I worked at First National. So mm -hmm. amazing culture. The only thing I didn't love was being out of town that much. I lived just east of Toronto. So the commute and things was the only thing I didn't love. And being an hour away from the kids' school, if they called. And obviously the worry of money. <laughs> that was my right. initial fear as well. Yeah. Okay. One of the questions is how long did it take you to replace your, you know, First National income as a mortgage broker? I would say by the end of my third year, I had more than replaced it. Right. So there's a transition period. So if somebody's listening to this, it's not usually like, bang, you know, but it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Very possible. Right. Okay. So before we dive into your story, I'd like to ask about a quote that's had an impact on your life or business. I love quotes. So what's a quote that's really impacted you? Yeah. So one of my favorites is Les Brown. And he says, if life knocks you down, try to land on your back. Because if you can look up, you can get up. And if you can get up, you can stand up. Ooh, that's good. I like Les Brown too. He's very inspiring. Yeah. And yeah. so how have you applied that to life or business? Like that, <laughs> this idea of like, keep looking up even when you're knocked down. Yeah. So speaking of starting the business right around the one year mark, I really fell down hard. I, this is a super tough business to get started. And I felt like I had hit bottom. I remembered this quote and I thought, you know what? I am at bottom, but I can look up and I'm going to get up. And I decided to continue going back to our previous question. I felt like I had let my family down. Like I quit my job to spend more time with the kids. I was working longer hours. I quit my job to be free and make more money. I wasn't making any money or the money so, I wanted to make. Right. Um, so I picked myself up. I hired a business coach. I didn't look back. And I'm so glad I stuck it out because really for me, like the magic started to happen around the two to three year mark. Like I was reaping finally all the rewards of just pounding the pavement hard for the first two years. So I'm right. really glad I stuck it out. And the thing is, because you worked at First National, you understood mortgages. So it wasn't like you didn't, you may not have had every product, every lender, but you could figure that stuff out if you've been in the business a long time. So for you, what was the hardest part of getting your business going? Well, funny, yes and no. I was on the servicing side. So okay. I managed what was called the escrow department. So commercial and residential property taxes, commercial and residential fire insurance, and the MPP program. I managed oh, so you did have to learn the product side too then. Oh, okay. Yeah, no underwriting experience. So I remember, thankfully, I sent my first deal to First National. And my underwriter was a friend and she goes, where's the disclosure? And I'm like, how do you generate a disclosure? Like I had zero support when I first started. So thankfully, I really leaned on my underwriters and my BDMs. I knew people, I had people skills, but I knew nothing about the underwriting side. Right. I knew okay. everything so, about property taxes. That was great. So, okay. Of the two skills, sales and underwriting, which one was more challenging for you to develop? Underwriting, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And First National is a great company. So yeah, like, you know, they're, my first underwriter from Scotia pretty much trained me. I would throw She's like, what are you doing, Scott? You have no idea what you're doing. I'm like, no, I don't. She's like, okay, slap me around a little bit and then get me to fix it. They it's not as like that now because they're so busy. They can't do that. Like I think back then they could actually slow down to kind of slap you around. But now I think they're just like, don't waste my time. Um, okay. So share one story of something that you failed at, but now looking back, there was a lesson in it for you. And this is funny. This is something you speak about too. So I literally fail all the time. It's probably my favorite way to learn. But seriously, the one thing I wish I'd done sooner is hire, hire somebody to help. So I remember my business coach bringing it up to me. And for about six months, I fought her tooth and nail. I was like, this is my baby. Nobody can do it like me. Like all those, that story we tell ourselves. Yeah. Never and heard then, anybody say this before, Hannah. Like no, no one's I ever, know. Yeah. <laughs> 
about this is what you do. Literally, when I hired this person, my first full-time person was quite a few years in. I had like part-time variable help all over. So it was 2019 or so. And that year, my salary, what I took home from the business didn't change. So it didn't go down, didn't go up, but it didn't go down. The business made more to cover her salary in full. And I worked probably three hours less a day. I was like, why didn't I do this sooner? Right? Why didn't right. I do this sooner? So it was amazing. And then at 2020, she took off, obviously. I yeah, stayed so, with me, but business took off with her. Oh, the business took yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. All right. So hiring sooner would be your thing. And so now looking back, if you could talk to the Hannah that was like, you know, fighting tooth and nail, what would you say to her? Because somebody out there's listening to this going, no, no, I'm, you know, so what would you say to this Hannah? Just do it. Hiring is fun now. So even this year, I hired a second underwriter and I realized her min tasks were kind of dragging her down. So within four weeks of realizing that, I hired a full-time admin. And now my plan is in the next six months to separate the admin and marketing roles and have my admin do the marketing and hire a new admin. Because why not? Like the business is there. We're just going to grow. This is going to add to business. They're going to pay for themselves. Right. And have you found the customer experience to be, you know, diminished? Because usually when people are afraid to hire, it's because it's so hard to get your business going. So then it's really hard to let the baby go. It's like, okay. Now I'm going to let somebody help me because in your mind, you make a mistake and it can cost you a referral source. And you're like, if they make a mistake, what will happen? Right. But have you found any diminishing of your client experience by doing this? Absolutely not. No, it's better if anything. Right. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. So what's the single biggest change you made your business in the last 12 months? You know what I'm going to say here too, and I'm forever in debt to you, mapping out my customer journey. It was really like life-changing for my business. So mapping out this step-by-step customer journey allowed me to get my brain on paper, which there's a lot going on in here. So that was really helpful to my team. And then it grew into a training tool. So as you know, I've added a column for my ATEX scripts. I've linked the different steps to Loom links or links to checklists on another sheet. But my favorite part is It allowed me to pick the pieces out of my business that I love doing the most. Last year was busy. I was juggling three kids. I really did not like the amount of work I was doing. The pace at which I was operating last year was not fun. So this year I made the decision to change that, signed up for your coaching, learned about the customer journey and completely changed the business. One of the things when you showed it to me, because I've seen lots of them, right? When we teach people this and your name wasn't even on it. Like usually you put down who does what. And I was like, Hannah, like, what are you doing? Like, so tell me about that when you went back, because everybody applies these things differently. What did your team think of that? You yeah. you basically the team the team actually joked like what are you doing here now? <laughs> What's your role here? And I said, well, a couple of things. A, my favorite part's the discovery call. So bridging the connection from the referral source, using my years of experience to solve the client's problem, build the rapport, build the strategy. I kind of do the discovery call and the strategy call in one right now in, yeah. in the first half an hour call. And then I hand it off to my team. And then I'm there for their questions. But really, my whole afternoon is open for client bookings. And unless I have a conference or something else, no joke, every day, we probably have three or four discovery calls a day. Like it's insane right now. So that's where a lot of my time is spent. And then my off time is spent coaching the team. And that's it. It's great. And then one of my big goals as a mom this year was now I finally have the team was to on Fridays, pick my kids up from school. So free. Have you been been able to do that? Yeah, I did that starting this year. So that's awesome. What do they think of that? Like, what are you doing here, mom? Like, are they- yeah, they think it's really cool. They think it's really cool. I'm happy to see their life at school, right? Right. That's awesome. So basically getting that down on paper and then assigning, essentially what you assigned tasks to each of them. And it's very organized. It's very helpful. I mean, First National, I've never worked at First National, but I've heard they're a very organized company. So was that your experience when you worked there that they were like very process driven and stuff? Like, I don't know. I know on the underwriting side, but I'm not sure on the tax side. How was it there? Yeah, very much so. You know what I loved about First National, which is the same for my brokerage now. 
when I started at First National, there's probably about 30 or 50 full-time employees in their Toronto office. When I left, there was close to 500. So I really got to see the company grow. But we as management had the freedom to work with IT and implement changes to become more efficient. So we had that freedom, which was really neat. So, and I mean, you've all seen Merlin on the broker side. Stephen Smith is Mm -hmm. the genius behind Merlin. That on the employee side is just as amazing. Everyone has a workflow and their tasks and you know exactly what your priority is that day. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. So do you mind sharing then? So how has your business grown in the last year? So say from 2020 to 2021, like what's happened? Yeah, so we basically did the same volume by the end of June 2021 that we did in all of 2020. Right. So we're not quite doubling this year. I do predict a tiny bit of a slowdown in our business, if anything, but we're well on track to surpass what we did. To double year. your previous year's production. In. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So good for you. So the next question I was going to ask about, so you're in our coaching program. So other than the customer journey, what was another takeaway that you got from being in the academy? My favorite thing aside from the customer journey... I'm torn between client for life or no, you know what? I'm going to go with the team setup. Um, And I know that's really personal to everybody, but I guess understanding again, that we don't have to follow any kind of playbook. We can do what works for our own team and where we, where I see a need, we can just fill that need and hire. So one of the things I did when I was hiring my admin was I made a list of everything they wanted to do and posted that job description instead of just going, I think I need an underwriter. Like I actually took all the things I no longer wanted to do. Oh, that's a great idea, actually. So you basically made the laundry list of this is what I'm looking for somebody to do. So you would hopefully attract. And so the person that you attracted, are they a good fit for that? Oh, they're amazing. And actually she's taking over more of a love for the marketing. So the client for life piece. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's actually my next transition is to hire a new full-time admin and have my current admin just completely evolve into the marketing side of things, almost like a client care manager. Um, And then the the new admin would take care of all her stuff. And then I'll add some uh, personal assistant stuff in there to help me juggle everything. Yeah. I often think of like, it's like your spots on the field. So trying to get them to figure out where they, and it's not always clear when you hire somebody, like sometimes they move around and you're like, oh, you're actually better at this. And just, you know, finding their sweet spot is key. And as you're managing team, you manage people before. But in a small business, you can be more dynamic. In a large company, it's probably a little like you have very defined roles and stuff. Okay, yeah. so that's cool. So I'll ask some rapid fire questions. You can answer these as shorter answers. So what is one thing people can't find out about you from Google? I love spreadsheets. Totally you love spreadsheets? love spreadsheets, yeah. They are pretty great. I'm not going to lie. There's something about spreadsheets. What's a movie everybody should watch at least once? Oh, gosh, no laughing. Love Actually is my favorite movie of all time. Really? Yep. Love actually. Yeah, I've seen that. And then what's the software or program or tool you can't run your business without? My Pineapple. So it's my brokerage's tool. It's based on Salesforce. It's amazing. Okay. My Pineapple. And then what about a book everybody should read? This is so basic and it's probably going back 20 years. Positive Personality Profiles by Dr. Robert Rome, the DISC personality system. DISC personality. Did you use DISC profiling when you hired your people? Yeah. Yeah. So what are you? You must be a high I. Are you high D as well? Funny, my personality by nature is a CD. I am a You're... learned IS when I'm inspiring and leading people. Okay, so it's like adaptive or whatever. Is that what they yeah. call it or like learned? Yeah, uh, I'm a C. High C with a little bit of D is like my by nature when I get into work mode. Task interesting. Mode. Yeah, because you seem very like, you don't seem like most Cs that I've met. So, but no, it's, it's all learned. <laughs> learned, right. Interesting. Okay. And do you have any high Ds on your team? I do. I have one very high D C and the rest are kind of I-ish. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Okay. If you don't know what that means, just go check out disk profiling. It's a pretty interesting concept. So elevator question, if you're in an elevator and you got your ideal client and you try to explain what you do in 30 seconds, what would you say? 
I would say something along the lines of basically my 20 years of experience is free to you. In our initial meeting, we discussed your short and long-term goals and mortgage strategies, and then our team goes out to work to put those in place for you. So you can go back to your life, to your job, to your kids, and we'll run around to all the lenders and find you the best mortgage product. Right. Very good. You said this before, I can tell. Yeah. Uh, and then if you could go back in time, you know, I'll put you in the DeLorean, the car from Back to the Future, send you six years ago, what would be three pieces of advice you'd give yourself? Number one, find a mentor from the get-go. I yeah. really wish I did that. Number two, join a brokerage with an underwriting team in the yeah. beginning to make it so much easier. And number three, this is important to new people, join a mortgage brokerage, not a real estate brokerage. Come what do you mean by that? I feel like there was a time in the mortgage agent history where they gave broker owners of realtor offices mortgage agent licenses. And they didn't really do more. Yeah, they did actually. Yeah, but they yeah. didn't like, yeah. No. So my first two brokerages were actually real estate brokerages. They didn't have any mortgage experience. I was the most experienced. They want you to figure it out. They're like, hey, no we're going to make money from. off you. Yeah, that doesn't seem yeah. to be as common anymore because I think it just didn't. The real estate owner's like, this is a hassle. I don't really know what I'm doing. It yeah. seems to have fizzled out. It was kind of one of these phases that we went through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was involved with one at Century 21 mm-hmm. many years ago. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's awesome. Where can people find you online? Mortgageswithhanna.ca. Right. Awesome, Hannah. Again, a very inspiring what you've done with your whole team revamp customer journey. I know that you said something to me before, too. Part of your vision with this was not just so that, A, you can spend time doing things you love, but you also want to be able to take vacation. When's that coming? Like that was yeah, and be COVID. off, like literally not have to like work, not vacation with your laptop, but vacation with like, you know, so tell me when's that coming? Yeah. Pending COVID, we've already booked 10 days in Disney for the end of January. Right. So and hopefully I'm not going to be working. Not yes, not going to be working in line to the rides. I'm absolutely not going to be working. Right. That's going to be amazing. The first time in six years, probably. Right. Since you started. <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. That's very cool. Okay. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks, Anna. Great to chat with you. Thanks, God. Have a good day. Hey, Ruben. Welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me again. So today we're going to talk about the post-COVID consumer. What do they look like? Because the world has changed, man. Like, as you know, since COVID, the expectations have changed, you know, technology. We're not going back, like no matter what happens. And so let's talk about that. And then more specifically, how we can think about to do a better job for our clients. So what have you noticed? So I'll just sort of take some things from my own experience. And I'm sure many of the listeners have experienced similar things. So Part of it is, you know, when COVID first happened, when we had our first lockdown, you know, back last year, we all sort of, you know, took a leap and went into the deep end of using things like technology or like services that we typically were hesitant to use in the past. So one example is uh, ordering our groceries online, uh, you know, or pretty much ordering everything we need and using some of the things that, again, we might have doubted before. And what that did is it really conditioned us to understand that, hey, you know what? I used to prefer to go to the supermarket so I can, you know, touch the produce and make sure that everything's fresh. But now, you know, Instacart or any of the other options aren't as bad. And it's actually saving me a whole bunch of time making life easy. And we've seen a massive adoption of some of these things, you know, becoming habits, right? People will forever shop on Instacart or or anything else. What it really boils down to is really having a better sense for now saving us time because, you know, we only have 24 hours a day and we're all busy, you know, with work and family and a whole bunch of other things that we prefer to have in our lifestyle than to, you know, go to the supermarket, for example, and shop for produce. And also the whole notion of, you know, just simplicity. Like we like things at the click of a button. We, you know, want it 
and we want to get it as quickly as we order it. So it's really that whole notion. And it's been in existence in the past, but now more than ever, it's that whole instant gratification. Like I want it. I don't want to wait, you know, a week for something. I want it now. Yeah, it, it exacerbates it. You know, a couple of things I've noticed on this. So our favorite Thai restaurant, which is like always a lineup, crazy busy. Of course, they get shut down because of COVID. Where we are right now, they've opened up again, but they do not have in-dining anymore. They got rid of it. I think that they realized that they were like, we actually have less staff. All it is is takeout. And you see more and more of these kind of like we talked about before, these ghost kitchens where they're just designed to serve that customer who's like, I don't want to drive there. I don't want to wait outside. I don't want to have to like, you know, and... So I think for sure their expectations have changed in terms of like we talked about, you know, reducing friction, lineups and stuff. What other things have you noticed? And I've even used Instacart a couple of times and I was like, this is actually pretty slick. Like they show up. I don't have to go to Costco. Costco is kind of fun, but it's also kind of like one of those when I feel frustrated at Costco, I always remind myself, I'm like, you know, I'm buying blueberries from South America for four bucks. Like I really can't complain too much, but it is great when somebody else can go do it for you. So what other things do you notice about that post-COVID consumer that their expectations have changed? I think, again, like our patience has been tested, right? So everything really slowed down in terms of, you know, facing these additional lineups to get ourselves into a store, just to get anything done, the delays and things like that have really tested people's patience and showed them, you know, what happens when, you know, world efficiency breaks down. And if you remember the first few months of COVID, everything was almost as an excuse. Well, due to COVID, you know, there's a longer wait for this and it'll take, you know, two hours to get the phone answered and things like that. But there's also the flip side in that it clarified, you know, the expectations of what that consumer expects to happen. It also, I think, changed the game. And I've spoken to a lot of successful brokers that have said to me, hey, look, you know what? I used to do my business face-to-face. This is a belly-to-belly business. I'd meet with all my clients. You know, we'd have a coffee, come into the office. And a lot have gone completely virtual. And that big realization is really that the consumer, that client really doesn't necessarily want to meet, right? Like, I think a lot of us have that in our mind that, you know, my client really wants to sit They're going to be lucky to meet me. No, actually, they'd rather not. They want what they want. They want the outcome, but they also want the least amount of friction and steps and obstacles in the way. And so the more you can remove those things, the better client experience, the more referrals, the whole thing just gets better. Yeah, I think that's totally true. You know, and when I think about this too, like you're not just competing with the mortgage broker bank down the street, you're actually competing with Instacart, you're competing with Amazon that create great experiences for people. And the consumer nowadays has choice. The one thing they have is choice. They have a platform. If you do a bad job, we as brokers and mortgage people need to really up our game in order to stand out. And the people that are doing it well, as you know, some of the folks that use you guys, I know there's some big companies that use you guys exclusively. And, you know, it's part of their whole process. It's almost like one of their competitive advantages is the fact that they say, hey, look, we're going to do this virtual closing for you. And the client's like, wow, that was awesome, right? Because the rest of the experience was virtual. Why do you have a full virtual experience and then go to a face-to-face experience? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of call it the equivalent, Scott, of imagine, you know, I think most of us have used an Uber or UberX to get around. Imagine the experience being, look, you use a slick app, you know, this cab shows up, greets you by your name, the cab is nice and clean. And then they get to the destination, I'll say, well, Mr. Peckford, that'll be uh, $12.49 cash exact change, right? And it just- You're like, what the heck? It killed the whole thing, killed it. Exactly. You know, what starts off as a digital experience, and we know that, again, post-COVID and pre-COVID, most experiences of shopping around for a home or a mortgage start online, right? Mm -hmm. People will search for rates, they'll search for options, they'll do some of the research, 
before they pick up the phone and call you or before they fill out a lead form, depends how you generate your your business and your leads. So why can't it end online? If it's going to be a virtual experience, it needs to really, you know, not only stay online, but be seamless enough so that it really doesn't become a, you know, a separate process altogether. Yeah, I totally agree. So I have a quick story that I got to tell you. So my dad, the first time we were in Toronto, I called a cab and they just didn't show up. So I'm like, I've heard of this thing called Uber. So I download this app and I'm like, click. And then I could see the car driving towards me. And so I say to my dad, I'm like, we're going to get an Uber to the hotel. He's like, what is that? Because my dad's like in the 60s, right? He's like, what is this Uber thing? I said, well, basically this guy's going to pick us up in his car. He said, some random person is going to just come by and pick us up in his car and drive to your hotel. My dad's like, sure, whatever, Scott, like you're crazy, right? That's what he says to me. So sure enough, this guy pulls up in his car, we get in it, we drive there. I'm like, hey, dad, that was like half the price of a taxi. He's like, what? So then I put it on his phone, but I had used my credit card. So then next thing my dad is using my credit card with his Uber account. I keep seeing these things, bing, bing, he's using Uber like crazy. So once somebody's experience is this virtual, you as a mortgage broker doing this entire thing virtually, and then you are now throwing them like at the back end, you completely nailed it. Like, okay, do you have cash, exact change? Do you wanna give me a tip? The whole awkwardness of it is gone. Like, why would you not do the same thing with your mortgage business? Like if you have that as an option. And the fact that the communication and more transparency, I actually could see when the cab driver was coming. I had no idea where the taxi cab was. Didn't know if he was coming, didn't know if he changed his mind, went for break. You know, with you guys, the way your process works is because you have that app, I know where everything's at. You know, I know what, what stage we're at. I know what you're waiting on. Like, it's just so much better than, you know, what most people are experiencing. So it was a really great example, Scott, because like that whole transparency component where, you know, on the Uber app, you can actually see the car and the ETA and all that has actually been one of the keys to their success. Because essentially, if you think about what it does is in the background is it relieves the uncertainty and anxiety. As you mentioned, you know, you, you call a cab and back in the day, you used to call a dispatch and the dispatch calls a cab, but you have no idea if it's ever showing up, when will it show up? And of course, everyone's got a place to be, right? So you don't want to be, you know, arriving at your hotel in two hours from now, you want to be there in five minutes. And it's the same thing when it comes to, you know, the entire mortgage process or specifically closing, the more transparency your client has in terms of being involved as much as they want to as part of the process, the lower their anxiety gets, the less stress they have, the better the experience is going to be in terms of delivering that outcome to them. Right. Yeah, it's awesome. I totally agree. The post-COVID consumer has a totally different expectation and, you know, keep the experience great. So quick question for you before we wrap up this call. So currently, and this may change, but which provinces are you guys in? So where can people actually use you guys, your service? In case somebody's like, oh, I want to check this out. So we can close transactions in Ontario, BC, and Alberta. And know where you're going next? Yeah, we've got we've got a couple more provinces that we're going to launch by the end of the year. Still a little bit of a TBD as to which ones. uh, Right. So just go to your site and you can find out, though. That's easy. Exactly. I love these conversations all about client experience. If you're listening to this, go to dita.ca slash ILMB. Try this out. It's like order your first Uber like my dad did. You can't use my credit card. I'm not paying for you for this, but Reuven will give you $100 off your client's first order. And I guarantee you, once you try this, you're going to be like, why was I using taxi cabs? That's what's going to happen. So thanks, Reuven. Thanks again, Scott. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.